Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir. Whoever you are, Bonnie D. in the house, have a very interesting topic for you. It's something that people, companies, businesses, organizations, industries all over the world are talking about, grappling with, but we're going to focus on manufacturing today. I'll just give you the topic first, and then I'll do my monologue. Does a digital factory attract new workers. If you think about it, that's a packed title. So let me explain. Many businesses, as I said, are struggling to attract and retain skilled workers, not just enough to get them in the door and on the payroll. You got to keep them with many employees, uh uh-oh, resigning or retiring or going somewhere else. This is particularly true in the manufacturing sector. And that's what we're talking about today. I have a couple of quotes. One is from rimanufacturers.com. Listen up. A recent MI, that's Manufacturing Institute survey, found that, I'm putting air quotes around this if you're on LinkedIn, you can see, the great resignation is really more of a great retirement. Oh my goodness. There were 808,000 manufacturing job openings in February 2022. Now we are live here on October 18th, so do the math. About six, now that was two, yeah, about six, seven months ago. Down from January's 859,000, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And the number of manufacturing jobs quits, they're just calling them quits, rose from 315 in January, 315,000 to 337 in February. It's a new record for quits. I have another quote from the same article. In a February survey of 3,000 Americans, MI reported 82% of survey respondents who left a manufacturing job in the past six months retired, this may surprise you, due to age or health-related reasons. Of the little bit of that pie, the 18% who resigned or laid off, 73% are back to work, but guess what? They're in a different manufacturing job, or 77% are working in a different industry, and 20%... They're still looking for work, we think. We'll just leave that one on the table. And I have one more quote. This is from a joint Deloitte and MI news release. 83% of manufacturers surveyed said attraction and retention of a quality workforce are among their top concerns because workers would rather be in retail and services than in manufacturing, even though manufacturing is critical to economic and pandemic recovery. We know that. So manufacturers, come on, they're getting on board. They want to automate their automation. They want to automate their operations. They want to bring in tools. They want to bring in technologies. But are they forgetting workers out in the field? And are they forgetting workers on the shop floor? Are they doing enough? Our panel today, we'll introduce them in a second, we'll explore whether digital technologies that inform and engage workers. We're talking digital signage, we're talking AR, we're talking VR, we'll talk about that. We'll be helping manufacturing companies access a wider labor pool, attract new workers, and keep them working. When I call your name, please just wave hello. Christophe Justo is with us today. Welcome, Christophe. He'll be hello. introducing himself in a minute. We have Andy Hancock. Hello, Andy. Good Welcome. Morning. And we have Johannes Paps. Hello, Johannes. Happy to have them here. Does a digital factory attract new workers? And a shout out, as always, to our sponsor and showrunner, 
the wonderful Judy Cubas, who gets up very early on the West Coast of the U.S. to be here, and she's in the background cheering on her panelists. So let's get started. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to welcome my three experts, and they certainly are. Christophe Justeau, would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? We want to know a little bit about your company, and we want to know what makes you an expert on this topic, and why should people care about what you have to say today? Why should they listen to you, Christophe? That's the challenge. Go ahead. What a challenge. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Hello, everyone. So my name is Christophe Justeau. I'm the president of Telelogos. Telelogos is a software company. We are quartered in Europe with facilities and offices in North America, Austin, Texas, Mexico. And, and yeah, I'm, my background is not really about manufacturing. Initially, I mean, I learned political sciences. I learned uh, law. I had master degrees in both. And most of my friends went to banks, they went to public organizations, and I very rapidly decided to go to technology and industry and manufacturing. And uh, have been working for many years, you can see my white hair, uh, and following all the transformation that technology has been bringing to this, uh, to manufacturing, uh, with automation, with uh, ERPs, which were very new things uh, some 30 years ago, and then artificial intelligence, visualization, and all the very nice and cool things we're going to talk about today. Thank you very much. Yes, visualization is, is another one. Uh, Christoph and, and the rest of the panel on an early show about manufacturing several years ago, I remembered a guest saying it for many, many years, people would say, what are your, what's your son doing? What's your daughter doing for, for career, for a profession? Oh, they're going in manufacturing. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, they're going to be so bored. Oh, they're going to be on an assembly line. And then all of a sudden, digitalization, digital tools entered the shop floor a while ago. And somebody said, yes, my son just got a manufacturing job. He walks around with a tablet in his hand all day, and he's instructing robotic machinery on the floor on how to move parts and inventory from one part of the factory to the other. He's excited to go to work. That was the first inkling, this was several years ago, that things were changing in manufacturing. And then the public perception has to change too. Christoph, you agree with that? I fully agree. And people are getting more and more interested, especially millennium with tangible things. And manufacturing is highly tangible. Yes. Very, very well put. Thank you very much. Andy Hancock, you're up next. Andy, same Good. thing. Please introduce yourself. And what do you have to tell us today? And why should people take you seriously as an expert. Go ahead, Andy. Absolutely, Bonnie. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Andy Hancock. I'm a global vice president in the Center of Excellence in Digital Supply Chain at SAP. Um, the reason why I think I'm so passionate about this um, OTIT interface of digital innovations really coming into the workplace is I've been around the area about 20 years and started off with enterprise mobility when, you know, when PIM, so emails and uh, calendar invites started to come on the BlackBerry device. And it really is the, of, of pulling that corporate data out into the hand of the person that needs it right now. And I've um, progressed through that from Blackberries into Nokias, into symbol devices, so the ruggedized devices, field service, so out in the field when, you know, it, it was a megabyte, it was uh, one euro per megabyte. So you can imagine how much data you, you consume today. Um, it, that it would be impossible back then. So technology has made it a lot easier. I get out um, around the globe. SAP has been very fortunate for me to 
uh, become an expert around uh, this digital interface, human computer, uh, human computer interaction. And I've done, I've seen customers in about forty to forty-five countries around the globe. So I've seen all different types of social elements associated with taking on information. The aging workforce that we've seen in certain industries, as you've mm -hmm. mentioned in, in your monologue to start off with, um, you you know, there's plenty of pictures around of showing people taking photos and, you know, and then 10 years later, after the um, the invention of the smartphone, seeing it covered with those those digital screens. I think there's a very famous uh, picture of the Pope that just shows how prolific <laughs> everything has increased and everybody has a mobile phone device. Both my parents have mobile phones in, and they're both in their 80s. So, you know, it's used everywhere. And so why can't we use that technology in manufacturing on the shop floor? I, I, there's no reason it shouldn't be. It's just trying to get over that hurdle of having expertise in, in there, making sure that you're capturing the right information at that particular point in time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being scalable. I think that's probably where we uh, people are struggling, organizations are struggling, is that scalability out across the multiple plants that they may have. Thank you, Andy. You are a walking or a sitting right now, a sitting historian of, of at least telephone technology. <laughs> I, I worked for Nokia for several years, but on the marketing side, on the system side, uh, the in, uh, IntelliSync system, not on the phone side, but I had a collection of phones because they would give us the prototypes and they would just hand us the prototypes. I never used them, but I've got boxes of beautiful phones here. Anyway, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Thank you very much, Johannes Pop. So happy to have you here, Johannes. I'm going to put you Thank on you. speaker view, and we'd love to get to know you. Same challenge. What's your passion for the topic? Johannes, welcome. Yeah, as I said, I started actually right into manufacturing after my master's degree in physics. Not a really logical uh, move, but that's how it was. Actually, I joined a small company uh, at that time in it was in 1991 so the last decade the last millennium um, um, so I basically there joined the, the the to look after computers and it was a many I said a, a small manufacturing company and I say I, I learned my business there I said coming out of school out of science you have no clue about nothing. Um, and I always jokingly say that was my MBA, actually. I never never got a paper or a degree, but I learned. Um, it was a small business, and you really could see, like basically like in the lab, the whole uh, processes. You could see the end-to-end the -end, um, of everything, um, and I could experience what was going on. And of course, I could also see the in, in such an environment, you can see the impact of the certain things. And also, impl uh, if you impl try to implement software, for example, and that's what I did there, implemented an ERP system, payroll, finance, logistics, and all what you need. Um, and then I basically changed role after having looking at the IT from a customer, manufacturing customer perspective, I changed role to the vendor side. And since then, basically, I am working for uh, software vendors in the ERP space for manufacturing companies. And there, there basically, I implemented uh, systems mainly in manufacturing companies, a few exceptions, um, working in multiple uh, industries or, or at least from the manufacturing flavors. I saw many flavors. 
And then I joined SAP 15 years ago um, in a role, actually, which I really like. And uh, number one, it's about manufacturing. And um, and the second is, it's uh, we basically, we, we in our team, we are a small global team. We are kind of the eyes and the ears of SAP into our, into the industrial manufacturing space. Um, so we really try to understand what's going on and convey that, of course, into SAP, try to influence SAP to how SAP best can support this industry or the customers in this industry. And, of course, help also our uh, friends and colleagues who are out speaking to customers, help them, uh, inform them, let them know about trends, what's going on, how to best uh, position our, our solution. And so my main interest is basically is in related to the manufacturing processes. It lastly, it was lately, I think we got some uh, at, uh, at attraction or some mm -hmm. visibility in the context with Industry 4 or the yeah. Industrial Internet of Things. Uh, actually, that topic had, has been around for ever. It was called CIM, Computer Integrated Manufacturing, 30 years back. It's basically the same, but like we, as you told about the mobile, of course, technology has changed significantly. So yeah. I think things which we dreamt of the, at that at those times are now easily and possible. Like everybody having their, uh, they're having their own device. <laughs> I mean, that was not to couldn't be imagined, but now this is it basically it's a given. Everybody has the device, for example, or computers everywhere, uh, and that's that's a major change. And so I think it was really it's fun to see this development of things, yes. technology coming into the manufacturing space. Thank you very much, Johannes. I'm looking at the history of the three of you, what you're bringing to the table in terms of real experiences. You've all been there, done that watched that, been part of the trends, lived it through your various jobs and your travel. So very, very impressed with the panel. Let's go on to the part of the show where I've asked each of you to please send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV series or a song lyric. And the, the quotes have absolutely nothing literally to do with our topic, but I'm going to ask you to explain how to you they do. So let's go first to Christophe Justeau, and you've sent us a quote from, I had to look this one up, Prince Don Fabrizio Corbera, played by Burt Lancaster. Boy, is this going back in time, Christophe. I love, people are still quoting The Wizard of Oz from 1939. 63, that's right. Epic historical drama. The, the leopard in Italian was Il Gatto Pardo. The Serval, literally, is directed by Lucino Visconti. It's an adaptation of a 1958 novel by Giuseppe Tomasi di Lampedusa. I hope I pronounced that right. Burt Lancaster stars as Corbera, an aging Sicilian nobleman in the socio-political turmoil. You mean they had that back then? Of the Risorgimento, the Italian unification during the mid-19th century, Alain Delon was his opportunistic nephew, Tancredi, and the beautiful Claudia Cardinale was his goddaughter. It won a Palme d'Or Award at the 1963 Cannes Film Festival, and it's regarded as a classic and one of the greatest movies ever made. We need to find that on streaming. Here's the quote Christophe has selected. This isn't the end of anything. It's the beginning of everything. Wow, Christoph, that's heavy. <laughs> Andy, right? <laughs> that's heavy. All right, you got to explain. Take about two minutes, three minutes, what this has to do with our topic. Go ahead, Christoph. Yeah, and first of all, very quick word about the movie. I mean, that's definitely something you should uh, look. I mean, that's a wonderful movie. And the movie is, is taking place at a time where, like you said, I mean, Italy is really in a turmoil. Everything is changing. 
And this is getting from a collection of small countries to a unified country. And of course, people like this prince played by Bill Lancaster is going to maybe lose everything and, and he's pushing for the change and he is following the change. And the point I want to make here is uh, I remember when I was younger, I mean, working for Capgemini and that's back to maybe 30 years ago and we were with the impression that uh, we were at the end of something. Okay, the IT revolution already happened and, and our CTO very, very nicely explained, no, you're at the beginning of everything. And surprisingly enough, I think that's where we are with manufacturing. The things have been changing a lot. Uh, and, and, and Andy, you and I already referred to some of those changing. However, I think there's still much more to come. And technology, of course, is going to able, enable a lot of those. But really, uh, we are at the beginning of something. And that's the point I wanted to make with this sentence. Thank you very much. And we could apply that to what we're talking about, the workforce today, can't we? When somebody resigns, retires, and and gets back into another, hopefully, manufacturing job because the workforce is needed there, it's not the end. It's the beginning of everything new and fresh and exciting in manufacturing. I think that's what we're really talking about today is how do we keep people coming and staying in that workforce so that manufacturing can resume its place of importance in helping the economy recover. So enough enough there. Let's go on. Thank you very much, Andy Hancock. This is a really cool six-word quote. You know what it is. The attribution is Mad Max Rokatansky, played by Mel Gibson, the movie Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, which was just called The Road Warrior in the U.S. It's a 1981 we're coming up in, in youthfulness of the movies. We've gone from 63 to 81, Australian post-apocalyptic action film, uh, the second installment in the Mad Max franchise, and Gibson reprises his role as Mad Max. The tale of a community of settlers moved to defend themselves against a roving band of marauders follows an archetypical Western frontier movie motif, as does Max's role as a hardened man whose decision to assist the settlers helps them rediscover his humanity. I can see the, the sun coming up there. Uh, preceded by Mad Max in 79, followed by Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in 85 and Mad Max Fury Road in 25. It's considered one of the greatest action movies of all time, Andy, and one of the greatest sequels ever made. I have to find that one too. Here's the quote, everybody. <laughs> Sit down and put your seatbelt on. I'm just here for the gasoline. Andy, please. <laughs> what in the world? Go ahead. Great quote. Right. Exactly. So as you, as you said it, I, I think it's actually, what I wanted to express was a cautionary tale. It doesn't really matter when we, when we it doesn't really matter what organizations do. They always really think about the purpose of, of your employees. You know, doesn't, if you provide them with, um, nice seating, uh, extra benefits. There, there are going to be, uh, there are going to be employees that are just um, there for the gasoline. It is they're just there to work. They want to do their nine to five. And sometimes we try and overreact when we're trying to think about, you know, the impact of digital technologies, transformations within an organization. You know, if it makes their job easier, then they're going to be along, along with you. Now, I, I, I like everything that is fast on four wheels and two wheels. And, and if, you know the, if you know the car that Mad Max actually drove in, and the other famous uh, part of it was it was the last of the V8s. And so he was an anti-hero at that point. And then at that particular point, the settlers would go in and try and find out, uh, to try and find a, a truck. 
a semi um, to actually pull the tanker of fuel that supports their their new their new future. And as he um, he comes up to one of the crew that had uh, been taken over by the marauders, and he was all really grateful to to him, and said anything I can do for you. And he just delivers that line as he's trying to um, free the the guy from the car. Uh, I'm just here for the gasoline. So it's a cautionary tale of saying to to the people that are looking after the shop floor workers, sometimes they just want to turn up, do their work, and go home. Yep, nine to five, nine to five, famous movie. We don't have any quotes from that today. Thank you very much. Very provocative quote, Andy. Well done. Johannes, I have to tell you, I think you win the quote award of the week, which I've never given at. As much as I love the quotes from Christoph and Andy, I have used the quote I'm about to read, Johannes. I have quoted it to about 10 people this week because it is so compelling. I'm using it as a, hey, did you hear what? <laughs> Seriously, I keep it handy. I, that doesn't happen too often. So the quote is from the character Ben Whitaker, played by Robert De Niro. The movie, we're way more modern now. The Intern, 2015 American buddy comedy drama film. So it's American, it's a buddy comedy drama. They string all of those genres together. The plot follows a 70-year-old widower. We know who he is, De Niro, who becomes a senior intern at an online fashion website and his unlikely friendship with the company's workaholic CEO. The film was a box office success. It did very, very well. He's a retired executive from Dex One, and he applies for the job. It's just very interesting. The company is in Brooklyn. It's a startup, and it's just everything is a little bit crazy and wild. But here is the quote that he says. Everybody listen up. This is a class. It's going to be a classic. Retirement is an ongoing, relentless effort in creativity. You can try yoga, like to cook, bought some plants, took classes in Mandarin. Believe me, I tried everything. I just know there's a hole in my life and I need to fill it soon. Is this a cautionary tale for people who've retired? <laughs> Johannes, I'm sorry, this was just a fabulous quote. Johannes, save me here. Go ahead, it's your turn. Sure. I mean, number one, it is actually a cautionary quote. I mean, being serious, you need something. I mean, we need, we are humans, we need something what we are here for. Uh, and of course, the the work we do day in, day in, day out is, is an important element of this. In the German language, we actually, we don't talk about a job, but we call it Beruf, which is basically kind of calling which is mm -hmm. even has kind of a higher uh, uh, even dimension to it, what we are doing. And this is also, I think, applies. In, and I think the, I don't know, I really, what should I say? I think I, I don't I really understand why people uh, speak so lowly about uh, manufacturing, because this is where things happen where value add is created. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, the, if you really want to be in the place where you do something, where you can contribute, where you can, change the world i mean you look at my background picture they are changing parts but you do something something falls out you see something tangible and this is if you want to do something i think manufacturing is a excellent place to be and uh, where you can see the results of your work and where you can uh, yeah live your calling i would say 
if it That's is your calling. That's a very good point. I think we, we missed that in all of the conversation about the tools and what you're doing. You get in the make economy, right? You're a maker. That's what Michael's, the art store calls. Are you a maker? Are you making painting, pottery, artwork, something? Yeah, exactly. You're uh-huh. making. Interesting that, that somehow the luster of being in the trenches making something has gotten lost in that conversation. Thank you very much, Johannes. I appreciate Mr. it. Mr. Benz von Daimler Benz, or Mr. Daimler, he said the best or nothing. What he yep. made that's the right. Making. That's right. Absolutely. You're doing something tangible. We love services companies, don't we, everybody? But you're you're doing something. I made a widget today. I, I made something. I made dinner. I made a piece of pottery. I made a car. I made something. I have a I have a product that I can see. Very interesting. Thank you, gentlemen, for the quotes. Very appreciated. I know you did all the work, all did the work, and I love the quotes you picked. And we came up through history. <laughs> we came up from 63 to 81 to 2015. How about that? To our listeners and viewers, this is not orchestrated behind the scenes. I don't sit down with my guests and Judy doesn't say, okay, we want a movie quote from, from the 1960s from one of you who wants to take it. This is all done independently and it just comes together beautifully. So thank you, gentlemen. Let's move on to our roundtable. Christoph, I put your first statement into a private chat to you. I'm going to read it. It's nice and brief, but packed. I'm going to ask you to unpack it. Now, I've already given instructions to Andy and Johannes to sit a little closer to the edge of your chair because you're going to be pouncing on what Christoph has to say. Andy, you'll be up, and then Johannes. I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Monsieur Justo after he finishes unpacking. So here's what Christophe said. Industry 4.0 connects resources and contributors. However, some production staff are left behind as they have only limited access to the digital manufacturing resources. They lack real-time access to production data or corporate information to help them make decisions and adjust activities. I'm going to stop there and let you tell us the rest of the story. This is a great jumping off point, I believe, Christoph, for our roundtable. So go ahead, please. Yeah, but yeah, I'm afraid we're back to the intangible here, after the tangible. Uh, yeah, Industry for Auto is, is wonderful. And, and UNS, Andy, myself, and many millions of people in software companies, in consulting companies have been contributing to growing this wonderful network. And today, thanks to Industry 4.0, I mean, the, 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 the connection between the system is up and running. It's possible to get huge amount of data. The f- suppliers can directly mm, contribute also to the process. Even the customers, the users, I mean, the car you're driving will is able to send information about the way it's, it's, it's behaving and then it will help uh, the factory, the car manufacturer to improve the car or to maintain the car and so on and so on. And I think in the same time, we all make the experience when we pay a visit to a plant, uh, to a shop floor, uh, the experience that all of a sudden in the shop floor, we're meeting with people and how did it work? I mean, they have papers, they have books, paper books, and they're far away from all the very powerful amount of data which have been collected uh, um, uh, in the computers, which are shared, all that kind of things. So clearly, I think today there is in many organizations and many manufacturing organizations a very, very wide gap between what the people in the offices, in the labs, uh, in the R&D centers, in the sales organization of the manufacturing uh, organization will experience and what on the other side, the workers, the field workers, the people at the shop floor, 
the people in the warehouse will experience. Of course, I mean, it's not black and white, and there are some gray areas, and we're, we've been trying in the past to solve this. But I think this, this gap, this uh, discrepancy, is really causing a problem. And it's a problem in terms of efficiency for the company, but also probably uh, as we are talking about the people and how do, how do we want to make them proud of working in manufacturing and getting back to manufacturing. I think also it's creating a very significant discrepancy in the way people feel themselves involved, empowered or not empowered into the manufacturing processes. Thank you. A phrase comes to mind. Andy, I'm going to call on you in a second. A phrase comes to mind, Christoph. We, we've heard it in many businesses, movies even, need to know. It's on a need to know basis. What does this worker need to know to do their job? How much do we want them to know? Who's pulling the strings and protecting that information and excluding somebody? Interesting point there. Andy, Forget what I said. Go to Christoph. Agree or disagree with Mr. Shisto? Andy Hancock, you're up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listening to listening to it, I, I kind of agree in certain certain areas, and definitely, I mean, based on what I was saying about my movie quote, it's a cautionary tale. I think you know there are when we start to use industry four best practices and do that digital transformation, there are going to be areas of information that um, become available to the shop floor. You know, and, and it, although it may from the outside look like it's a need to know basis, I think what we see is that there's, that, there's areas of decision making in a particular process line or in a particular area of, of a shop floor. But, you know, the cautionary element to it is really thinking about do, can they complete their job with this information? Do you want to um, overload uh, an individual? Because some people, don't want to have the the decision making capability. They still just want to do this very much, you know, eight to four shift, nine to five shift, and they don't want the pressure that information provides them. If you just tell them this is do route one, go, I want you to do task one, two, three, and repeat. A lot, you know, human nature sometimes likes that, and but and so that's why I kind of agree in certain areas because there are some per personalities and I think we're going to mm -hmm. see this come in, you know, with uh, generation, with the millennials coming through um, who uh, were born with a mobile phone in their hand, you know, and the consumption mm -hmm. of data, the way that they communicate with them. I think that we're going to see an evolution. So um, yes, in parts, no in others, I think is what I would say. Thank you for the provocative comments. Johannes, you're up. What do you think? Um, I tend to, I mean, I would like to stress another thing because I think if people, it's about autonomy, about ability to grow. And in my opinion and my point of view, this applies to basically everybody. Each job you do, whatever you do, you want to grow, you want to be better, you want to improve. Um, and so I think uh, from there, I think it's... I think you cannot, of course, if you can physically overwhelm people, give them information that, that is not relevant to them, they don't want to, to hear and they don't want to see, it's because it's merely a distraction. But on the other hand, to give them the information they need and they, they need to do their job, uh, that's absolutely important. And I think they are humans. And I think one key ability of us humans is to be able to make decisions. And I think the more you give decision power to somebody, I think the better he will be at his job and the better he will like it and the more also he will grow. 
So from that perspective, I think it's im, 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 I was in the same situation when I started. Of course, it was not manufacturing that time. We were a services companies. Every week we, we had the sales figures of our salespeople. I was in services, didn't really care. But hearing about the sales success of our company, for example, in that event, helped me to engage with the company. I said, oh, this week we've been doing good. Oh, next week, and then this great customer win. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me to be part of the game and be part of the team. Um, and uh, that's why the information was good for me. And Thank it kept you. me be engaged. Yeah, yeah very in interesting. Three different, we, we built out from your statement. Christoph, anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists? Yeah, I, I'd like to change a little what Andy said. And I, I, I agree with you, Anas. I mean, there are probably two levels. I mean, there is the level of information and people need information and the right information. And I think, Andy, you made that point. Uh, but when it gets to decision, uh, I remember this discussion, very interesting discussion with a plant manager and, and, the, and the gentleman told me, I mean, it's unbelievable. We're organizing our processes to make sure that people, the, the field workers, will have very simple things to do. And then when we talk with each of them, you realize that one of the operators, I mean, he built a website on his own. Another one, he launched a charity or he is the manager of a sports team. They have responsibilities. They are able to take responsibilities, but we are still in this culture of, okay, let's make sure they will have to do simple things. So that was the point probably I'd like to add to what I said. Thank you. Very interesting. I, I like the way you all played off of what each other said. Uh, interesting about need to know, which I brought up just after Christoph uh, unpacked his statement. And I'm thinking that... In some companies, I'm guessing, now I've never been in manufacturing, but I'm guessing in some companies, they don't want people to <gasps> challenge the process. Well, wait a minute. I understand the bigger picture is X, Y, Z, and couldn't we do it more efficiently? It's those damn millennials and the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys, and who knows what Gen comes after X, Y, and Z. Oh, my. And so the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but how squeaky do you want the wheel to be? How much input do you want from literally the shop floor up to challenge? Well, you gave us a simple process, but we think it could be even simpler or more efficient. Or, hey, if you give me a tablet, I think I could do it even better in half the time and speed up. So think about that opportunity for giving digital tools to people and saying, we want it simple, but what do you have to say about it? Almost like a design thinking where you get different disciplines inputting their expertise in their POVs. To make it better. I'm just just adding that to the, the fourth opinion here. I want to move on, but thank you. Christoph, great jumping off point. Christoph, are you okay? He's looking at me like, what did she just say? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We know that noisy worker down on line number three is some, oh, it's Charlie Chaplin's great, great grandson. What does he have to say about it? We all know. Okay. So let's go on. Andy, I'm looking at your statement number three, and this is taking uh, the topic almost to the other end of the, the age spectrum or the worker experience slash longevity career spec. Here's what Andy says. As the experienced talent pool exits an organization, this is where everybody listening is supposed to say, oh my, that's what we're having a problem with. They're leaving. Okay. That knowledge must be transferred to the incoming resources. We don't have the luxury to expect individuals to stay their entire working life in one place. And there's a greater risk to the business to retain talent that did their time on the tools. Who was it who said his MBA? Johannes, you said your MBA was actually working in the trenches through a traditional apprenticeship. I'm going to stop there. So let's look at the knowledge. Andy, talk to us. Sure. You know, 
when I was thinking about this statement, it was really, you know, as, as we, I've done many a, a shop floor walk with, you know, production lines, plant managers, and it's not just about the manuals and pieces of paper that are on, uh, that they have available. It's also the site, it's the ears. You know, you, I've had an instance when somebody's walked past a piece of machinery and they've heard that it sounds different. You know, they they get to understand that it's not just the the visionary, you know, your, your vision that supports you in these activities. It's sound, um, even smell. I mean, you know, everybody has probably smelled uh, the sound uh, the, when an electrical burn is occurring. Yeah. And those elements, you know, that that knowledge is built to give them a, a very rounded individual. And then, you know, as time goes on, they they, they, they leave the organization. Now. Instruction manuals and 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 the like and and knowledge transfers that's that doesn't really go half it's only a half measure really in 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 educating somebody you know they do they want you have to get the feel of of a piece of equipment when it's in front of you you have to understand you know if what happens to the machine on the left if this one goes down and I think this is where we talk about digital technologies and the ease in which we're going to be able to transfer information to the incoming workforce. Because as I just mentioned in the previous comment, it's all about, you know, they're digitally born people. They understand, mm-hmm. they communicate primarily through short messages. Um, you know, if you, if you look at it, my, I've, got, I've got two children. They're not on Facebook, but they're on Snapchat. You know, so they've... Mm-hmm. We've, um, they've already progressed into the next layer, you know, and we get this very short duration of information that is then provided. Can we, as you know, thought providers uh, and thought leaders, can we think about having technology that gives them the experience that they're receiving out in in the social element, you know? And there was actually I wanted to actually come back with uh, Christoph, and I, I and it was to point another question really in all of this: Is it a fear of organizations if i limit the the reliance i have on a resource if they leave i've got less disruption so i mean that was so that was my opening statement around um mm-hmm. thinking about introducing techn- digital technologies to the incoming workforce and can we change the way that we actually do it very interesting. Johannes, you happen to be virtually sitting next to Mr. Hancock right now, so I'm going to put you up. Johannes, agree or disagree with Andy? Go ahead. Sure. I mean, I absolutely agree to what he said about that uh, this, what a human can sense and feel is far more than what is written or, 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 mm. or taken down. And I think it's really critical to have somehow to be able to capture this information and to capture uh, the experience and to, and nobody will sit down after work or somehow and write down something. You have to basically capture the learning as it happens. Sometimes even we as humans, we learn, we don't even recognize we learn. And how can we, and the, maybe the day after, two days later, it's just normal. We behave, we adapt, and then we we have gained some knowledge with somebody who ha- has not made the experience. Um, he he will not be able to, to, or he has to make the same step. And then how to find out how to document this and how to make it available to them. 
And then, of course, and as Andy said, I think it's, and I think that's the big uh, benefit of the gener of this generation coming, who are basically digital natives. They are used to uh, typing in stuff, used to communicating on a short notice and making it known. So I think that's, uh, and I think it's really uh, the really a big opportunity to tap into this knowledge and into this learning experience to make them say, hey, if you learn something, find out something, please let us know. And then to make this basically build up the knowledge around, uh, basically build the knowledge base from this information. I think this is a huge, would be a huge benefit if you are able to do this. Um, and of course, this is, for, and for this, of course, you really need latest technology because Humans, we don't want to wait. We, you don't want to spend effort it, on it. I mean, you have to do a task. You have to manufacture. You have to do something. You're not in here to, to write reports or, or do things like that. So that's why mm -hmm. it needs to be fast, maybe voice activated with cameras, with uh, all the media and all the technology that can be used, should be used to do that. So absolutely, um, actually, I'm just ideating. We could build a new, that's, new that's software around this, this requirement. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But in order to capture things like little text messages, hey, this equipment isn't working. If I was in charge, you'd see what I, if you don't capture that inside the company, that just goes poof and it goes outside to a friend or, or a parent or a colleague or somebody in another company who's trying to recruit mm -hmm. them and they take that with them, which is part of Andy's premise is that the knowledge walks out the door. What do you do? Do you allow them to disrupt your company by taking that knowledge? Christoph, I want to get you in on this. Agree or disagree with either or both? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. And, and I'd like to also highlight something. I mean, for many people, um, digital is, uh, is a counterintuitively, I would say, uh, something that can help people uh, educate people. I mean, in the, in the mind of many people, I mean, digital is on one hand, and when you have to work, I mean, it's, it's something different. And it's absolutely not. I mean, digital is so helpful. And just to give an example, I mean, we have this company, uh, using visual communication. Uh, they are in the foundry business and, and their people are doing things that you cannot describe in a text or in a manual. They are using uh, their moves and their hands and, and the tools and everything. And so they realized that the best way to pass the knowledge from one to another one was videos. And so they are video recording. And when the system requires a certain movement, then the video automatically appears, is called by the system, and the people will be able to see what's happening. And I think that's a very powerful way of illustrating that, yes, technology, it helps. It can help uh, transferring knowledge. Uh, and then there is a second domain I'd like to very quickly highlight, which is a temporary stuff. I mean, there are our customers are more and more calling for temporary workers. Uh, and, and here also, there is a big challenge. I mean, how do you make sure that someone will come for a couple of weeks will rapidly know how to proceed. And here again, I mean, technology bringing uh, with pictures, videos, sound, whatever uh, you may imagine, uh, the right instructions changes dramatically the, 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 the matter and the challenge. The gig economy. Step into this role. We don't want you permanently. We might hire you if you really fall in love with you and you're really great, but that's not why you're here. Just stay and then go do it somewhere else. What do they take with them? Andy, this was your topic. Briefly, anything you'd like to say back to your colleagues? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really like both both the inputs. I, I think, you know, 
if we were to, if I was to summarize it, it was really like the technology is there in order to do it. I think there's just isn't there. And, and when I say technology, you know, we have the fundamentals of capturing video and audio, but I think there's, there's going to be a, a combination with uh, crowdsourcing capabilities, some, some method, you know, just we all use YouTube to, to find something. If we don't know what, how to do something, we you look up, use YouTube or TikTok yep. or Snapchat, yep. one of those media kind of uh, platforms. And then I think there's structured elements to it as well. And if we can combine that whilst that expertise is on the shop floor and working and not an afterthought, I think that knowledge base will then be this evolving digital asset that um, a company can use. Very well put. Thank you very much. Good round the table. Johannes, you're up next. I've picked your statement number three. I'm trying to pick very interesting, different statements from each of you so we can keep the audience very engaged. And this is something that's a worry for every worker in every industry, isn't it, Johannes? He says automation is not the enemy of the worker. This is a message to every industry, everybody. What? A robot? What? A visualization? What do they need me for? Who wants to do unnecessary work? This is the core of the argument. Work is most fulfilling if you're doing something only you can't do. And this gets comes back to the human part. In addition, we have an intrinsic motivation to learn and improve our skills using automation to remove manual, repetitive work, rinse, lather, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat, right? That is not satisfying, opens more opportunities for the worker to use their skills in unique ways. Let's get down to the heart of the matter here. Johannes, please unpack this. Go ahead. Yeah, as said, um, and I think we already <clears throat> alluded on this uh, in some of the arguments before. Uh, I think the in, in all this, I think what we do, it's not about, it's all about humans. Uh, it's not, not really about technology. Because we are about SAP, we, our goal is to improve people's lives. I mean, it's not, we are not a charity, but if we bring in a software or tools to help the worker do their job better, they, we improve the people's lives. Um, and that's why it's what we do all, uh, uh, what we do is about humans and robots are never intelligent. I mean, we call it, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. We call some of our products intelligent something, but in reality, algorithms, and uh, though we call them intelligent, they are not really. Um, they can do easy steps. They can do, as I said, repetitive tasks. Maybe we can hide the rep that, they are, that it is about re being repetitive. Um, but in our, as humans, I think, we, as I said, we want to get better. We want to improve our skills, and we want to make decisions. And we, I think we want to decide about our own destiny and also about the steps we do out there on the on the shop floor or whatever we do in our daily life and and so and i think we as humans we are able to abstract for example to learn um, and then also apply the learning and that's why basically all this capability is something a robot will never be able to do and it will be a complex robot which can do maybe more more advanced uh, things but in the end it will be always uh, uh, something repetitive um, and that's why i think there should be a clear separation and there is a clear separation between the robotic world and the human mm -hmm. world i mean in t uh, in the in the robotics world it's called they, now they call it the cobots Basically, we are now these, uh, in the old world, uh, typically the, the robots were, were the enemies. It was dangerous to get near ro a robot. In the, if you look at the shop floor, they are behind fences and maybe even barbed, barbed wire so nobody climbs over it. 
But now these cobots, basically, they help the human being. For example, in assembling, uh, putting a wheels to a car, um, there the it's of course it's heavy lifting of the wheel and the tire, and so there is a robot which helps the human uh, the the worker to do the lifting. But then the final, the fine tuning, the human again is doing. And I think this will be the future, where the um, the, the 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 heavy repetitive tiresome also affecting your health those activities will be handed or will be more and more be put to given to robots and tools whereas the the thinking and the decision making um that will be still it will be to humans and we i mean there are companies who who invested in huge automation projects basically they failed why? Because for these 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 lines were typically not flexible enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they failed too often, and they went back to human to humans doing doing the job. Or asset collaboration between humans and machines. Thank you That's very my, much. Uh, Interesting. I like that. I'm going to ask Christoph and then Andy to be very brief because I want to sneak in. We've got about seven minutes left. I want to sneak in one more quick topic. So, Christoph, agree or disagree with Johannes, and then Andy, and then then I'm going to move on. Go ahead, Christoph. Yeah, I think ultimately, sure, automation is not a problem. However, I think short term and, and, and for people who are not used to it, clearly that appears like a, a, a threat. And, and uh, we still have to manage uh, how to explain that it's not a threat. Uh, and I'm not sure where they are at that time. Thank you very much. Andy, thoughts? Yeah, um, two points. The first one, I think automation allows scalability. You know, I think, you know, replicating uh, plants across the world, make sure that the process is, is repeat, repeatable, re- repeatable across multiple production lines. So I think that it allows one. Then when we talk about um, human resources in particular, it actually unlocks them to do higher value tasks. So for an example, we had uh, mobility was put into a situation um, that freed resources up so they could actually do more with the same amount and they actually went on to a project around reliability centered maintenance that they couldn't actually achieve so they took the talent pool of those experienced workforce put them into a special project to then apply reliability centered maintenance so they actually got an increased value because of technology unlocking the resources thank you very much appreciate that Johannes, with your permission, I'm going to try and sneak in one more topic here, okay? Before we go, I have something I found in Christoph's notes that I just want to... Yeah, we've got six minutes left now. Okay, Christoph says, digital helps companies in at least two different directions. First, bringing digital technologies into field and production environments helps companies move away from paper and reduce their carbon footprint. Number two, digital screens make it possible to provide in real time key information about energy consumption, waste management, and recycling. And this goes to the sensibilities of new employee work, of the new workforce. So, Christoph, just take about two minutes and then a quick comment from the others. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I mean, to me, that, that's also a very important point when we're talking about getting the new generation back to industry and manufacturing. I mean, clearly, sustainability is a big question mark. And, and people, they want, especially young people, millennial, you were referring to, they want to work in an environment that is respectful or as respectful as possible uh, of environment and and here again i mean technology uh, offers solutions and and there are no easy way no easy solutions but technology offers solution i mean 
instead of paper, you should have screens. Uh, and we know screens consume electricity, but if those are shared screens, instead of personal screens, then you reduce. And But more than that, I mean, a screen that is able to tell you about how much your team, your organization is consuming in energy is also helping you to make probably the right decision. Maybe I should behave that way. I should use this machine in a different way or should turn it off when I don't use it. And therefore, I'll see the consumption of energy decreasing. So technology with real-time information can also strongly help and get us the millennials back to, 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 to manufacturing. Thank you. Good point. Andy, comments? One minute and Johannes, and then we'll wrap up. Actually, a minute and a half each. Go ahead. All right. Sure. So, I mean, if we think about it, the first thing about sustainability as being um, a bottom line element to it, Mm -hmm. just by putting technology, digital screens into an environment, efficiencies are created. Decision making can be made sooner at that point of performance. And so, you know, reducing scrap from a production facility because you understand the quality assurance element of it, that ultimately pushes, you know, um, pushes the sustainability goals forward. The second thing is I think uh, consumers are, are more savvy. You know, it rather than it used to be, um, you could just say, I use this uh, recycled materials. I think people are now challenging organizations to say, mm-hmm. okay, then, what is your scope three um, priorities around sustainability? What are your supplier suppliers doing? And I think any way that an organization can tighten up the way that they perceive and, and present sustainability credentials is going to make them be more competitive in the space. They're going to have that. Sustainability is going to be a differentiator. And the ways that they, you do it is through digitization interfaces. I mean, I remember there was an organization that I um, visited and they had a paper amnesty and they had um, 100 kilos worth of paper brought in that was just orphaned information. So it's it's a large scope. Thank you very much, Andy. Johannes, I can give you about 90 seconds and that's it. Go ahead, then we wrap. Okay, yeah. I mean, talking about the paper, we had one customer who just paid where the business case was pay, just paid for, for software and in the hardware was paid by saving paper, literally. Uh, I could quote, tell you the name. Of course, I will not call out the name here. Uh, so that's for sure. And the other thing is, and I, in this context, of course, technology is a must. Why? Because it's real time. If I want to do something on, on in, uh, sustainability, saving energy, I, because I'm the, I'm acting now. And so I need to no, know now what are the, what is the impact of my doing it? I mean, at, even at home, I don't know. I turned down the heat. How much does it save me? I don't know, to be very honest. I'm setting up a system at home to do so. Uh, and the same, I think, applies also to the shop floor and to a business environment. If, if I know what the impact is, if I turn down the heat by X percent and it saves uh, X euro or X uh, kgs of, carb, of, of CO2, then I can adjust my behavior accordingly. If I get it the day after on printed paper, I mean, it's useless. 
We want to be smart workers. We want to be smart citizens. We want to be smart residents. We want to be smart members of the the bigger community. Thank you so much. Christoph. thank you for that comment there. That I think that rounds out our conversation very nicely. I want to do a shout out again to Judy Kubis at SAP, our sponsor and showrunner, as well as Thomas Pohl. And David Dunn has done a couple of episodes on this series this year as well. We've got a few more episodes coming up. I want to thank Andrew, our engineer at Voice America and the Business Channel team. And a shout out to Aaron Keller and David Ide. You know who you are at Voice America Radio. And I have my closing remarks. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like, raise your hand again, Christophe Justeau. Thank you so much. Don't go away. We'll talk afterwards. Andy Hancock, wave goodbye to LinkedIn. There we go. Johannes Pops, thank you so much. Gentlemen, I've enjoyed speaking with you. I've learned a great deal, and I know that our audience will. This is a huge topic, but it's a topic we need to talk about. Everybody wave goodbye. Bonnie D, over and out. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.